that because I cannot cover everything that I covered last week. I mean, there's no possible way I can get through my notes today. So I'm not going to try. Everybody just take a sigh of relief, right? I think we got out a little, a little bit later than we, usual last week. But we did do communion, which was great, right? Are you guys okay? Do we need coffee break right now? <laughs> Let's, we could stop and have coffee and just, just tap it right in, right? Whew, okay, everybody just shake it off. It's going to be okay. We'll get through this. All right, so just a couple of things. One is one of our, one of our uh, uh, scriptures that we like to use a lot and, and we send out in our welcome letters, if you're new, you've seen that, is uh, 3 John 2, 3 John 2. And he says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So he says he covers all aspects of who we are, our spirit, our soul, our body. He wants to make sure the Lord is telling us he wants us to prosper. That's good news. Amen? That's good news. He wants us to prosper. And so that's one of the scriptures we're going to be seeing today. But prosper means to be, to have, that word prosper in there literally means to have a good and a prosperous journey. To have a good and prosperous journey. It's hard to have a good journey when you don't have any money. Anybody figured that out? Right? It's a little bit easier when you can put gas in the car and buy the snacks, right? You got to have your Twizzlers and your chocolate munchies, right? It's a little bit easier to have a good journey. I'm just saying chocolate is usually involved on good journeys when you have a little bit of, little bit of green. And we saw in Psalms 1 that blessed is the man, and then there's this whole list, blessed is the man, right? Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Uh, look that up and read that again. But where we're going to start today is in Isaiah 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. Isaiah 1, 19. <clears throat> we saw, last week we saw that the blessing of the Lord came onto Abraham, and he became very prosperous. Amen. The blessing of the Lord came on Solomon and he became very prosperous. And that is not only confirmed in the Bible, but it's confirmed in writings from the times that were non-biblical that talked about the wealth of Solomon and the wealth of the queen of Sheba who came to Solomon and just unloaded a treasury on him because of what she saw. God is, his heart is for people to prosper, right? And I'm not talking about all of us being billionaires, right? I'm talking about prosperity, to increase, to have an abundance, to have uh, your needs met so that you can help meet the needs of others. True? Man, it's so much easier to help meet the needs of others when you paid your bills. <laughs> yes? God's desire is for us to prosper, to increase. We saw Job prospered. He was, he was wealthy before he lost it all, and then he was double prosperous after he repented before the Lord and said, I've been wrong. And God said, okay, now I can work with him. And he gave him back double. Everybody say double. double. Come on now. You can't mince words in the scripture like this. You can't do it. The thing, that, the thing that we talked about last week, and this is super important, is that God is not opposed to his children being blessed. He is opposed to his kids being covetous. Covetous. Meaning, and I told you this last week, I always thought covetous was when you just want your neighbor's stuff. Now, in my heart, I don't want my neighbor's stuff, right? If you got a nice truck, I'm happy for you. I don't want your truck. I want my own truck, Right? right? And so I'm thinking, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not, I don't want your stuff. But it, the covetous, look at this definition. Covetous is greedy, acquisitive, grasping. It means uh, showing a strong desire for especially material possessions. So it doesn't matter if it's your neighbor's stuff. You can be covetous over the stuff that's at the parking lot down at, you know, the truck, the truck store, Chevy, Ford, right? You can you can be covetous of something that's just not yours, that you just want so bad. And it's such a hard pull that that's your focus. God does not want your focus to be on the stuff. He has no problem with you having the stuff. 
as long as he's the focus, right? As long as he's the driving force. It is possible to do that. And I'm telling you, in my life, I have proven this, that when I put my sights on the, the goal, just the goal, and I was just head down going for it, it did not work out. But when I put my sights on the Lord and said, Lord, you know, you know that I'd like to have that, but I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to let you work it out. Every time I pursued him that direction with him first, he, it just started showing up. Like, wow, that was... That was really cool. That worked out. This deal, this opportunity, right price, right time. It wasn't me hunting it down. It was God bringing it to me. And he said, if you will follow me, these blessings will overtake you, meaning you're just walking along and they just show up, right? But it's all about your motive. It's about the heart. What are you looking at? He does not want his kids to covet. Doesn't mean you can't like nice things. Doesn't mean you can't desire it, but it's not so strong a pull, especially a strong desire for material possessions where it's just, it's just pulling you, right? It's important. We also saw that tithing is biblical. And we did a little diagram, which we're going to see again, just so you can see um, how, how the Lord showed me how to lay out what tithing looks like. So I'll show you what that looks like too. But are you guys in Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. We'll start this off. Oh, thank you, Lord. Okay. Everybody okay? At Westside Church, we don't get offended, right? Do we get offended? No, we don't get offended here. Why? Because we're not going to take offense. So say this with me. I am unoffendable because Jesus lives in me. Amen. It's true. It's true. Thank you, Lord. Unoffendable. Don't get offended. Just listen. Let the Lord talk to you. Okay. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, I'm, I'm, I purposely just chunked this out. It's all in context. You go back and look at it. Go back and look at it. Isaiah chapter one, but he's telling his servants, he said, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, <clears throat> I think it's funny uh, on, a, on an adult level, but not as a parent level, that when I ask my kids to do something, they just completely lose their cool. I mean, it's just, it's almost comical, you know, um, like my middle daughter, she's not in here, right? Okay, good. She didn't sneak in. So my middle daughter, she is like, She's a wonderful little child. I love that girl. But man, if I tell her to go clean her room, she just melts down because she knows it's a disaster in there, right? And she's like, no. And so it's like, we're just, we're just hoping for that day when you ask your kids, so, you know what, could you go clean your room? And they just go, okay, I'll do it. Because there's a difference between being obedient and being willing and obedient. True? <clears throat> Willing and obedient is totally different ballgame than just obedient. You know, I can get her to do it. The willing part we're working on, right? And this is so true in our spiritual lives when God is asking us to do things because we will see it. And as Christians, we're going, okay, Lord, I see that and I will do it. But the willing part is lacking. But the scripture says you've got to be willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. When I was a, when, one of my first jobs was a, uh, a box boy, a clerk, right? Bagging groceries. But it wasn't just bagging groceries, right? You had to bring the carts in. You had to sweep and mop. And one of the, one of the not so fun jobs about being the box boy, especially when you're just starting out, because you, how many of you know you are the low man on the totem pole, right? So when the bad jobs come up, guess who gets them? Low man on the totem pole. So I'm low man, and bathroom duty was one of those. And I'm telling you what seeing both sides of the fence, girls and guys, 
I take the men's restroom over the ladies' restroom every single time. I'm telling you right now. But I'll t- um, there's, there's times when you've got a, ch- a choice to make where you can be obedient or you can be willing and obedient. And the, and the attitude shines through. It really does. Um, a preacher friend, uh, long ago when he was first starting a ministry, he's pastoring, and he got into a church that was just a fabulous church, a growing church, a thriving church, um, had, was making a, a really nice salary, better than he'd ever made in other churches, and they provided him a parsonage for his house, for his, where, he, where he lived, that's just how they did it back, this is back in the day, right, 50s, 40s. And um, they provided a parsonage for him. And then not only that, uh, when he'd go to meetings and conferences, they would send him on these conferences and pay his expenses because it's part of pastorals. You know, we go and we go do conferences and we get charged up and come back all fired up for you guys, right? You like that? Once in a while, right? So he would go on these conferences and they were helping him with food and clothes. And then the Lord said, I need you to leave this church and I need you to start traveling. And he was like, Lord, (laughs) We're in like the best place we've ever been. Like it took a long time to get here. It's going really, really well. But he said, I've heard your voice. I know it and I will do it. And he did. He left his church. He resigned. They said, listen, if you stay, we will vote you in indefinitely. Like you, you will never have to leave until Jesus comes back. And he was like, that sounds really good. But the Lord told me to go and I'm going to obey. So he went out. He went out for a year and he drove the tires off his car. He had to scrap his car for junk. He, they weren't eating right. They didn't have enough food on the table. They didn't have proper clothing. And he came before the Lord, and he's like, Lord, now I know I heard your voice, and you told me to go on the road. And I started. And I started. I did it. And, and he quoted that scripture, Isaiah 119. Lord, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And I am not eating the good of the land. And he prayed for like three days. And on the third day, the Lord told him, and only the way the Lord can, quoted that scripture back to him. He says, you don't qualify. And he's like, what do you mean I don't qualify? And he said, you've got the obedient part down, but you're not willing because he's still thinking about the other place, what we used to have. And he said, don't tell me that it takes years to get willing. He said, I made that adjustment in my spirit in 10 seconds. He said, okay, Lord, I'm willing. Right now, I'm willing. You know it, and the devil knows it. (laughs) I'm willing. And he said, from that moment forward, it started to increase. Things begin to change. Things begin to change. Why? Because he's willing and obedient. And it's so important that we're willing and obedient. Because if you can, you can just be obedient and miss the whole willing part and be going like, God, I'm giving. What's going on? And he goes, a little adjustment, a little tiny adjustment in your heart that needs to change. You need to be willing to do it. Willing to do it. Amen? And you trust me, as your pastor, I'm not trying to get anything from you, right? I am not going to take an offering at the end of this message. It's not going to happen, right? I'm just trying to get you the information that the Lord's told me to give you so that you can adjust and make tweaks and adjustments. Because I don't do the books in this church. I don't know. I'm, if you think I'm looking at you, you're crazy because I don't know what you guys are doing, right? By and large, I know very little. So I'm just telling everybody the same stuff, right? So everybody just take a, take a deep breath, right? Everything's good. This is just the subject that we're in. So Deuteronomy 28, you can look this up. You should read Deuteronomy 28, the whole chapter. The first 14 verses talk about the blessing of the Lord that will come on those that obey the Lord, right? And when we couple it with Isaiah 119, it's obedient and willing, obedient and willing. But Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses, this is what's going to come on those that will be obedient to the Lord. And it's just blessing, 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 blessing. But it's wonderful. Health, healing, provision, increase. It's like, yeah. And then in 15, there's like 50 verses, 50, 
verses of what will happen if you don't obey the Lord. Why is that list bigger? Because there's a whole lot of terrible stuff out there, right? And he just lists up so he can see what the curse of the law is versus the blessing of the law. You should read that. Look at it. See what it is, how it looks to you. And in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says, the Lord, uh, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. It's so important that we honor the Lord. Anybody figured that out? I mean, I'm telling you, you've come too late to the party to tell me that giving doesn't work because I've already proven it. <laughs> I've already done it. There are times in my life where I slacked off and I'm telling you, it was evident. And the times when I've been vigilant and on purpose and, and a matter of the heart, willing and obedient, man, things just, things just work. They just work, right? It's beautiful. When you get in your car and it starts, man, that's nice, right? Because you know when it doesn't. <laughs> It wakes you up like, what is going on now? Amen. Okay, so this is the subject I'm going to cover today, and there's no possible way we can probably get it all done. But um, I want to tackle what I would like to call a sacred cow. A sacred cow is something that we have held to be true or believed for some reason or another, whether it was scriptural or not. It's been a belief that's been in the past, or it's been taught to us from some way or another. And I want to tackle the, sac- the sacred cow, this question, was Jesus poor? Was Jesus poor? That's what we're going to tackle. Was Jesus poor? Okay. It's been widely taught. Anybody ever heard it? Do I, and, and there's some verses that are quoted uh, that Jesus was poor. So let's look at a couple of the verses that are quoted um, that talk about Jesus being poor that people like camp out on and say, this is it. Uh, so, and, and I want to define, I want to define the word poor too so you can see clearly what it means to be poor. All right. Poor means lacking sufficient money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. Pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Lacking sufficient money to live at a standard co- considered comfortable or normal in a society. That means poor varies greatly depending on where you live. True? So you might live in a village in South America, and you might have a goat and be considered wealthy because you've got milk and cheese, and right? And so it's different. If you just had one goat and that's all you had here, We'd be helping you, doing something, right? That's, that's what I got. I got to go. Okay. So it's different depending on where you live. So look at the, some of the synonyms for poverty. Impoverished, uh, beggarly, indigent, needful, uh, needy, in want, destitute, short of money, hard up, unable to make ends meet, underprivileged, deprived, penniless. You think that pretty much sums up poor, right? Pretty, pretty straightforward. Okay. Let's look at Luke 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verse 58. <clears throat> you guys okay? Still love me? No. One guy walked out, it was James. He told me he needed to leave early, so he was not upset. Everybody just be calm. He was okay. We're still good. We love each other. <laughs> Luke 9, 58. This is, this, is a, this is a verse that Jesus said, that is used to say, well, now, see, Jesus was poor. But let's look at it. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? See, Jesus had nothing. That's what they use. True? That's what he said. The foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We'll come back to that. Everybody be patient. Okay, Second Corinthians 8, 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Right? 
One more time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. There it is. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. So the question we have to ask is, when did Jesus become poor? When did Jesus become poor? Well, let's look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. When did Jesus become poor? Thank you, Lord. Well, I like to answer this question with this. If if Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins, when did he become sin that we might become the righteousness of God? Was it his whole life on the earth? Was it during his ministry? When did Jesus become sin? He became sin on the cross, right? When did Jesus take sickness and disease for us? On the cross, right? On the cross. And Isaiah points it out. Isaiah 53. Do we have that one? <clears throat> Isaiah 53. It's, it's popular. You'll see the scripture a lot because we quote it. It's quoted back in First uh, Peter. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 53, verse 4, says this. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes. When did he take this on? He took it on on the cross, right? That means he took the curse on himself on the cross, right? It wasn't when he was living here. And we're going to prove it. I'm going to prove to you how Jesus operated in the earth while he was here. Is Jesus our standard? Anybody? He's our standard, right? He's the one we're trying to live up to and be like Jesus. So we've got to see what Jesus lived like. Amen? It's important. It's important. Okay. Second Corinthians is another one. Second Corinthians five twenty one. <clears throat> you guys can write these things down. If you've noticed, there are notepads in front of you and pens everywhere. So if you want to take notes, you are absolutely allowed to do that. Uh, take this stuff home. Look it up. Don't just take my word for it. Go back and look at the scriptures I'm quoting and see how they fall into context and how they uh, align with the with the word. First or Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us." that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the question is, was Jesus poor? And the, and the answer to that is, he did become poor for us the same time he became sickness for us, the same time he became sin for us at the cross. Amen? That was good. That was good. Thank you, Jesus. He took the curse for us, right? So Galatians 3.13 tells us, uh, tells us this very thing. Galatians 3.13. I think we'll have that one up there. I gave Chris like, I don't know, 30 scriptures to put in. <laughs> so I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get through all of these, but have them up there. We'll, we'll see if we can find them. Galatians 3.13. This is a popular one we quoted from last week too. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Everybody say the curse of the law. The curse of the law. That's Deuteronomy 28.15 through the end of the chapter. There's a ton of it in there. It means, it means you are cursed in the city, you're cursed in the field. It means everything you put aside just gets eaten up. Uh, every time you go out, money's falling out of your pockets. I mean, this stuff just, it's just messing you up. You're sick, you've got enemies against you, you can't make head or tails of situations, you have no wisdom. You're, I mean, it's a mess, the curse of the law. But, but Galatians says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's when he took the curse. That's when he took it. That's amazing to me, isn't it? I mean, the plan of redemption, which we do not have time to go into, is all-inclusive. It is not just for your spirit when you die. It is all-inclusive. 
all of it, redeemed from the curse. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Man, that's good news. So Jesus, Jesus became poor. He did. According to the scripture, he became poor at the same time that he became sin for us. It's important to recognize that because Jesus operated in a way that I think you'll be shocked by in this earth when we start looking at scripture. So check this out. Jesus' very beginning of life. Anybody remember this? This is another scripture that was used to say that Jesus was poor and beggarly, that when he went to Bethlehem, that his family went to Bethlehem and he was born, he was born in a stable in a manger. See? See? But when they got to Bethlehem, they were trying to book a room in the inn. They had money, but what, what did the innkeeper say? We have no room. Why? It was census time. Everybody had shown up early. The rooms were full. So it's either sleep in the street or sleep under the cover in the stable. It had nothing to do with money. Everybody okay with that? It had nothing to do with money. It was, they were just, just a little late to the party. That was it. Because Joseph was traveling with a very pregnant wife. Any husbands ever travel with a very pregnant wife? Takes just a little bit longer than usual, Right? We'd be honest. True. Okay. Try that on a donkey. Sweet. That'd be even longer. Okay. So they were just, they were just slightly behind. Okay. So when they get there and in this time frame, and this is argued across the Bible, but there's, there's some, there's some room for wiggling here, but the Magi show up, right? These Kings from the East and they brought treasures. And the Bible says that, uh, in several different versions, it says either money bags or treasure bags. They opened up their treasures to give to the King and they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there've been some theologians and historians that have figured this up just based on the time and, and what the appropriate gift would have been and what it could have looked like that it was, well into the hundreds of thousands of our time and maybe even into the millions. It was a big gift. It wasn't just a couple of coins that they had on them. They brought treasure bags with them to give to the Lord Jesus, okay? So this is significant because very shortly after he was born, he went into Egypt, remember? An angel showed up to Joseph and said, you need to get to Egypt because Herod's seeking his life. So they went to Egypt for a certain amount of time before Herod died and lived there. So they had to travel there, they had to have expenses and money, and then they came back. So the Lord provided for his son to be born into the earth. And there was treasures that were handed into his family to take care of these necessities and these needs. That was Jesus' beginning, right? That was his beginning. Okay, gifts, those gifts sustained them and helped them in Egypt before they came back. Now, uh, the second thing is Jesus had ministry partners. Now, let's look at this. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. The question that we're answering today is, was Jesus poor? Because if Jesus is our standard... If he's our standard, then we need to look at what, how, and how Jesus operated. Jesus, um, and I'm going to prove this to you, Jesus was not poor. He was not poor. Okay, thank you, Lord. You guys okay? Stay with me. I'm going sh- to show it to you. I'm going to tweak somebody. Somebody can help me with the thermostat. I don't think it got bumped down. Is anybody else warm? Just me under the bright, bright lights? Maybe we can bump that down to like, you know, 61 and hang some meat in here. Okay. All right, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Okay, everybody say the 12. They were with him, right? This is Jesus' entourage, his disciples. They're traveling around with him, all right? And a certain, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, um, out of whom who had come seven demons... And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, 
who's, who was Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. Everybody say many others. Many others. Who provided for him from their substance. They provided for Jesus from their substance, right? This is, this is how Jesus operated in the earth, is that his ministry made a way for him, and these people go, we need to do something because of what it, Jesus is doing in the earth, and we're going to help provide for him. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's just substance. That just means they were giving him some food here and there, and you know, maybe, maybe a couple pairs of shoes. No, the, this is all-encompassing, this word substance. It means, yes, they were providing food. Yes, they were providing lodging as they traveled. Yes, they were probably helping him with clothing, but they were also giving them of their provision, money. Money. Everybody say money. money. Okay, we'll get there. Judas is in the Bible, right? Right? Judas, we'll get there. Judas was the treasurer. So it says right there in the beginning of Luke chapter 8 that these women that were uh, wives of, of very pronounced and famous men of the region and then themselves were, some of them were business owners and they were just go-getters. They said, we're providing for the Lord Jesus out of their substance, right? Because Jesus took on disciples, when Jesus told Peter, come follow me, he was basically saying, come with me, I'm going to provide for you, not just you, but your family, because God would not call a man out of his family and say, okay, your kids and your wife, they're going to take care of themselves, you just follow me. That's not the Savior we serve, right? And, and in the same time he called Peter, he gave him such a huge load of fish from the catch that it took two boats to come and get it in. It was a huge haul of fish, huge. So not only that, but Peter just hauled in a huge income, they, you know, which they more than likely didn't just cast back and go, that was fun. They gathered those fish and sold them in the market, which was their custom, and they made money, and their families were provided for, at least in that very beginning, short term, and then from then on. So this is the Lord we serve, right? And he's calling us, and he's saying, I provided ministry partners for Jesus and his ministry that they provided for out of, his, out of their substance. Amen? That's how, it, that's how it looks. Now, listen to me. I'm not taking an offering for me after this, right? God takes care of me in grand style. This is not about me. This is about us, right? Being willing to say, okay, God, what do you call me to do? Amen? So we're looking at this stuff, looking at it. Amen? Jesus had a home. Jesus had a home. Now, wait a minute, preacher. You just showed us a verse where Jesus said, foxes have a place to, they, don't, they have a place to stay and I don't have a place to lay my head. And now you're saying he has a home. I'm saying the scripture said he has a home. Let's go look at it. Okay, Luke chapter 9. Next chapter. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Jesus had a home. Verse 51. Luke 9, 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went, and they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for a journey to Jerusalem. And when, he, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Save them. And he went to another village. And it came to pass... <clears throat> That he said, this is that verse, that, it said, that he said, Now, um, Lord, I will follow, oh, sorry. Now, it happened as they journeyed in on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But uh, right after that, that's that whole verse in context right there. And then uh, in Jesus talking about Jesus' hometown, he's saying in this, in context, he's saying that right now, Right this moment, because his face was set to go to Jerusalem, 
right this moment, his face was set to go to Jerusalem. Amen. This is the end. That he didn't have a place to sleep. He didn't have a place where he was calling home right then. He was telling this guy, you want to follow me, but I'm on the move right now. It's not conducive for me to settle down and be in a home. He was addressing this question of this guy saying, I want to follow you, but I still want all the securities and the comforts of what I already have. And he's saying, foxes, right? Foxes have a place to go, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying that right now, this moment, my ministry, what I'm called to do, I'm not at home. I'm not settled down, right? He's, he given, he's given him a warning. If you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. But in Matthew chapter 4, in the New King James, verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that was his cousin, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Jesus was raised in Nazareth, right? Jesus the Nazarene, true? But it says that he left Nazareth and he went to dwell in Capernaum. Now, those two towns are 25 miles apart. Nazareth is kind of landlocked between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, but Capernaum is at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, right on the water, okay? So Jesus moved home, moved, moved away from home, and dwelt in the land of Capernaum, right? Now, when you dwell someplace, that means you've got an address. Anybody ever have to fill out a form where they want your home address, right? They want to know you live somewhere. It's true. So Jesus dwelt in Capernaum, in, in, that was his hometown. They called it hometown. And we'll see this. We'll see this. <clears throat> uh, the Williams translation says, Jesus left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum. The Woos translation says, he abandoned Nazareth and established his permanent home in Capernaum. Jesus moved. Amen? He moved. So Jesus did have a home. Even though he's quoted as saying, foxes have a place to lay their head, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was talking about the moment. Does that make sense to everybody? But Jesus had a home. And here's, here's why we know this. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus got into a boat and he crossed over. The Bible says it crossed over. And it says specifically that he crossed over to his hometown. Now, growing up when I was reading that, hometown to me was Nazareth. But when you put the two scriptures together, it says that he moved out of Nazareth to Capernaum. This was his new hometown, and it's on the water. So it fits perfectly. He crossed over in a boat to his hometown in Capernaum. So here he is in Matthew chapter 9, and he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Everybody say his own city. That, this is where he lived. This is where he lived. People recognized him. He had been there. He had lived there. He was, that was where his house was right? And there's a great speculation about the paralytic that was let down through the roof because the Bible says that when he was at home in his home city, he was in the house. King James Version says in the house. Well, which house was he in? A lot of people think it was Jesus' house. That was his hometown. It's where he lived. He was preaching. People came to him. Hey, let's go over to Jesus' house. He's preaching. And the paralytic had four good friends that cut open the roof and dropped this paralyzed man right down in front of Jesus. Pretty cool, right? So Jesus was operating kind of like you guys, you and I do. He had stuff going on. He had a place that he called home. He was doing the work of the Lord, of, of his father, right? He was following after what he was called to do. But Jesus was not broke. Let's keep going. You, you guys okay? A little bit more. Okay, Jesus was not broke. Mark 2 says this, same thing. It says, he, again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard, this is Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And it was heard that he was in the house. NIV says, and people heard that he had come home. There it is again, Capernaum. He had come home, and he was in the house. He was in the house. That's right before that paralytic. Okay, so Jesus 
it's, it's evident to us that Jesus lived in Capernaum. He had a place of dwelling. But when he was traveling, he just let the house sitter watch the dogs, right? That's normal. That's what we would do. If we were traveling, somebody's going to check the lights, pull, bring in the mail, feed the cat, right? This was Jesus' home. Okay, we also see that Jesus was assisting the poor, right? Now, we have lots of scriptures of Jesus assisting the poor. If you are broke and you can't feed yourself, let alone the 12 guys you asked to follow you and their families, you're not going to have a whole lot extra to assist the poor. Is that true? You're trying to find a way to get your next meal when you're broke. True? But Jesus was constantly and consistently helping the poor. And we see this in John chapter 13. Because at the, the Last Supper... Judas gets up and he leaves. And the disciples, it's told in the story, the disciples saw Judas leave and just thought, oh, Jesus gave him instruction. He's probably either going to get more supplies for the feast or he's going to go give money to the poor. That was their thought. It was an automatic. The Bible gives insight into what the disciples saw and they thought, oh, it's no big deal. He does this all the time. This was very normal for Judas to just get up at Jesus' request and bring money to somebody or go pick up supplies. Why? Because Judas was the treasurer. He had the money bag. And so it was not uncommon for Jesus to ask him to go give to the poor. So Judas had this trove of giving money to the poor. He had this treasury bag. Does that make sense? And it says, Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood what Jesus said to him. He was telling Judas, what you're about to do, the betrayal you're about to betray me with, do it quickly. They didn't understand it because when he got up and left, um, Judas... uh, when they got up and left, they underst- nobody understood what Jesus said to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. It was a regular thing. It was a regular thing. When you're given to the poor, right? We're called to give and help. It's a regular thing. So Judas was the treasurer. And we see this in John 12. We see this in John 12, verse 4. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Now, what did he object to? He objected to Mary pouring a year's worth of perfume on Jesus' feet before his burial, right? A year's salary, right? So let's just ask a few people what you guys make a year. No, I'm just kidding. So let's think about what you make a year and think about spending it on perfume, right? And then dumping it on Jesus' feet, right? It was a big deal. Now, if you're poor and you don't have anything, your thinking is going to be a little bit different in this case, true? Like, that's a year's wages. We could do a lot with that. What are you doing? Just a couple of drops, and then we'll, we'll use the rest, right? But Jesus rebuked Judas, who was incensed that this woman would spill a year's wages on Jesus' feet. And he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It's a, worth a year's wages, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus had so much substance flowing through his ministry to keep uh, his, his guys going, fed their families, right? They were traveling, they were lodging, they were eating, they were doing stuff, and then they were giving to the poor all the time that he had a full-time treasure. And there was so much going through it that Judas was unnoticed when he was pilfering from the bag. He was sneaking stuff out. A fair amount, it was a regular habit, the Bible says. Think about that. Like, you go to your checking account, right? And you go look at your $122.13. If somebody takes five bucks out, you're like, where did that come from, right? Who was at Macy's? Who went to Starbucks? 
right? But when you've got thousands floating around in there and five bucks slips out and a hundred bucks slips out and I mean, this is how people end up going to jail. They embezzle and they think nobody's going to know. True. So this is what's going on is the treasurer is pilfering from it and nobody's noticing because there's more than enough. Everybody say more than enough. This is our Lord and Savior's ministry, right? And so we're worried about what people are going to think of us. But I'm telling you, God wants us to increase and prosper, not just so that we can show off a fancy new car or a fancy new boat or airplane, right? But to like increase and to grow and to be a blessing to others. Not that God has any problem with a fancy new car or a fancy new boat or house or airplane. He has no problem with that as long as we're not coveting, right? And we're doing everything he asked us to do, willing and obedient. True? Okay, let's just keep going. Guys, just shake it off. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The, the New King James says that he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Jesus had full-time responsibility for these guys. Twelve guys and their families. That's a big deal. That means there has to be something flowing and moving. Jesus would not call men away from their families to leave them destitute. Absolutely not. It just does not bear out in Scripture. So he's taking care of these guys. Uh, the next one is Jesus distinguished himself from the poor. Now, not meaning that he was better than them, but in that scripture, in, in John 12, Jesus made a separation from himself. Now, if he was one of them, he would say, now, the poor, we're all together in this, but you only have me for a little bit. Jesus said this, these words. He said, for the poor, you have with you always, but me, you do not have. Meaning that I'm about to go back. You're, you're always going to have the poor. Now, Jesus was quoting out of Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15 says, the poor will be with you always. Therefore, be open-handed and make sure that you're giving and helping and supplying, right? Because they're, they're always going to be around. But Jesus is quoting that scripture and he's saying, listen, the poor is always going to be with you, but I'm only here for a short time. Therefore, that's why she used this perfume on my feet. She understands the significance of what's happening to me. And she's honoring me and preparing me for my burial. Very significant. And so Jesus is making a separation. He's saying, listen, you're always going to have the poor. Don't ever quit giving and helping and being a servant. But I'm only here for a little bit longer. You see the difference? If he was one of the poor saying, I am poor, that would have been a different phraseology, right? It would have been different. It said different. Jesus set it apart. He set it apart. Jesus also wore nice clothes, right? Now, my wife is so much better at nice clothes than I am. I'm telling you what, I would just pick stuff out. She'd be like, you are not wearing that. Put that back. I'm like, well, why is it even in the closet? Why is it even there if I can't wear it? So she helps me a ton. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, but Jesus had some nice clothes. And it's proven in Scripture because when he died, the Roman soldiers were like, we're not messing this stuff up. We're going to gamble for it. There, it said it divided the garments into four, Right? divided the garments into four, and then they cast lots for his tunic, which was the outer covering they wore in those days. And the Bible says that it was seamless, meaning it was all, it was all sewn together. That was a big deal. That means sleeves, no seams, one piece of clothing. Difficult to do in today's standards, right? Difficult. But they were like, we're not wrecking this. This is nice. And it was a fulfillment of the scripture that said that they would cast lots for his clothes, his garments. Jesus wore some nice stuff, not to be showy, but people blessed him. They loved him, right? He operated on a different level than what people had ever seen. And it's okay to have nice stuff. It's not okay to covet nice stuff. Anybody see the difference? 
This is our Savior, man. If he's wearing nice stuff, he's not going to have a problem with you wearing a nice shirt. Nice pair of pants. Get yourself a nice pair of boots, right? It's okay. Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. He has a problem with coveting. Do you see that? Jesus was not poor. He was not poor. So the question bears itself out. Was Jesus poor or was he prosperous? Was he poor or was he prosperous? Well, let's look at the definitions again. Poor. Lacking sufficient money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. So by the scriptures that we saw with a treasurer and they looked like they ate pretty good, right? They were constantly giving as needs. Jesus had a home. Capernaum was his hometown. I mean, just looking on the surface of what we just barely, barely got into, would we consider Jesus in the barely lacking uh, and, and didn't have enough money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in society? Would that bear out? Absolutely not. Okay, so let's look at prosperous. Prosperous, auspicious, favorable, marked by success or economic well-being. It's enjoying a vigorous and healthy growth. Was Jesus' ministry growing? Did people find out more about him as he traveled around? I mean, there's a lot of parts about that. It wasn't just about money, but Jesus was, people were coming up to him, hey, I want to follow you. Hey, I want to follow you. What you what you've got is amazing. Healthy growth, flourishing. Synonyms are thriving, flourishing, successful, strong, vigorous, profitable, lucrative, expanding, booming, robust, progressive, favorable. So of the two, poor and prosperous, which one would Jesus fit into? Pretty automatically, Right? Pretty automatically, he was prospering when he lived in the earth. And if anybody qualifies for prospering, who would be willing and obedient? I mean, he said it many times. I don't, I don't do my own will. I do the will of my Father who has sent me. Did he say that? Man, the works that you see me do, I only do because I've seen the Father do them. I mean, if anybody qualified for prospering, it was Jesus. True? And so people saw that and they attached to him and said, we want to be a part of what you're doing. So as far as as far as giving and partnership goes, God's going to lead you in all kinds of directions for partnership. Um, Cody and I are partnered with at least five or more different ministries on our own where we just knew that the Lord was saying, you need, to, you need to be sowing into this ministry. One, because they, they speak into our lives, right? And so where you're getting fed on a regular basis, we tithe into our home church because this is our home church. Where you get fed on a regular basis is your, typically where your tithes go. That is kind of the standard. Other than that, offerings and where you give outside of that, that beyond, that overflowing abundance that you have flowing into your life where you get to give into other ministries and other places where you give to the poor, you give to ministries that are helping the poor, that's called offerings. And that's something you need to absolutely hear from the Lord. You'll have opportunities to do that here like with our missionary coming in or uh, our building fund, different things where you'll have opportunity to give extra beyond your tithe into the church. But outside of that, be led by the Spirit. God will lead you to the right people that you're supposed to be connected with. And there's something spiritual that happens when you're sowing into another ministry that connects you to that ministry. So be cautious. I say that. Be cautious with whose ministries you're connected with, but follow the Lord too. I mean, he is going to lead you to who you need to be connected with because there is a spiritual connecting that happens when you sow seed into that, th- those things. And it's important because you now become a partner with that ministry. And there's more scriptures about partnership. Paul had partners. He couldn't do what he did unless he had partnership. And he talks about partnership and how it's important. So giving is way outside of what we just normally think of just a few bucks here and there. We need to be purposeful on, uh, and, and very decidedly giving to what God has called us to do and to be a part of. And I'm telling you, when you're willing and obedient, God's desire is for you to increase. It's to increase, not just for your own gain, 
but so that you can be a blessing to other people. And that is the absolute fun part about the scripture saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because you find out as a giver that you get to be part of the giving blessing, but then you know that it cycles back and you get to receive and then you get to give and you get to receive. When you're just a receiver, when you're just a receiver, it's nice. Anybody ever got something extra? Man, that feels good. But man, when you get to give and sow into somebody else, there's huge blessing in that. It's so fun to see somebody just, their needs get met and God used you to do it. True? Man, it's fun. And you can't do that when you're broke. So hopefully, a little bit of what we talked about today about dispelling this myth, this sacred cow, as we like to call it, about Jesus being poor. Jesus was not poor. He, he was not poor. He became poor, just like he became sin, just like he became sickness at the cross so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. And that's where we're at. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. He became that, but he didn't have to live out poor so that we could become rich. He operated in abundance. He operated in a prosperous level. And that's exciting. Amen. So the money, the money issue can be tentative in church. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm not seeking a gift. I'm not taking an offering. I'm not trying to increase anything into the coffers of the church. Not my heart. My heart is for us to understand giving so that we can truly walk in the good of the land that God's called us to be. Willing and obedient. And it just takes a second to get willing. It's easy sometimes to get obedient. It just takes a second to get willing. But we've got to check our hearts. Make sure we're right. Make sure we're giving with the right heart and the right attitude. It's important. Anybody figure that out besides me? Giving's important. Amen? It is, it is. So, Jesus was willing. Thank you, Lord. You know, generosity, when we teach our kids, generosity is not something that comes natural. It is taught. So, if we want to be generous and see our kids be generous, they have to see us be generous. Amen. And we serve a God who's generous. True. So think about this, stew on it. If it just bugs you that I talked about this this morning, just know that there's a reason why that's bugging you and just research it. Check it out. Don't let it just fall to the side. Don't get offended, right? We don't get offended, right? We do not get offended. Christians are tasked with not being offended. Tough to do sometimes, but go back and look at these scriptures I gave. See what the Lord says to you about what, how it was that Jesus operated in the earth and how he um, ministered to other people. It's, it's plain sight for us, amen, so that we can see that God does desire, just like third John Jesus, love that I pray that you prosper.